from the poorhouse to the palace, Bethel Baptist Church is pleased to bring you this uplifting program hosted by Dr. Doug Castle. Please stay with us and open your heart as Dr. Castle opens God's Word. Well, today we come to Zechariah chapter 13, verses 6 and 7. Yesterday we saw the cleansing fountain of peace in verse 1. We saw the cleansing of false prophets in verses 2 through 5. And today we're going to see Calvary's fountain pierced in verses 6 and 7. Let me read those verses for you uh, today. And the Bible says this, And one shall say unto him, What are these wounds in thine hands? Then he shall answer, Those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, and against the man that is my fellow, saith the Lord of hosts. Smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered, and I will turn mine hand upon the little ones. This is the climax of the nation's tragedy, is what is transpiring before us right now. And uh, we have a prophecy of the first coming of Jesus Christ interjected with a prophecy related to the second coming. Remember, I I say this often so that you'll learn something about prophecy, that over and over, whenever the Bible speaks about the second coming, or the first coming, it also speaks about the second coming. For every one verse on the first coming, there are eight verses on the second coming, and and God weaves them together. And uh, God uses the fulfilled promises of the first coming to dispel any doubts concerning his second coming. And uh, so we can look at the prophecies fulfilled at Jesus' first coming and see uh, and believe in all the promises and the prophecies of the second coming. Now, this prophecy was given more than 500 years before the crucifixion. It was fulfilled the night of Calvary. Jesus was wounded in the house of his friends. He was beaten in the palace of Pilate or of Caiaphas, the high priest. His nails were his hands were nail pierced by his own kinsmen. And remember, prophesied before any man had ever been nailed to a cross, before a cross was even invented. Proverbs 27, 6, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. It seems as if this verse was written for Jesus himself. We've all been wounded by friends. We've all been kissed or drawn close deceitfully, but never like Jesus was. Isaiah also spoke of the wounds of our Lord. In Isaiah 53, verse 5, But he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. By the way, let me, let me tell you something. In that day, when Jesus rules and reigns for a thousand years, we're going to look at his hands and feet and say, What happened? And he's going to say, Right here, I was wounded for you. I was crucified for you. Jesus told the disciples himself that they were going to forsake him. And when he said that, he was echoing the words of Zechariah from verse number 7 here. Jesus said in Mark chapter 14, he said, All ye shall be offended of me this night, for it is written, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered. And verse 50 says, They all forsook him and fled. That's exactly what we just read in verse 7 of Zechariah chapter 13. We look back and we know because Jesus was nailed, betrayed, and forsaken. That as all that has come to pass, written 500 years before it came to pass, pre-written history, everything that he says about his second coming is going to be fulfilled as well. Now look at verse 8 and 9, because now he's going to give us a second coming prophecy, the last two verses of chapter 13 here. And it shall come to pass that in all the land, saith the Lord, 
two parts therein shall be cut off and die, but the third shall be left therein. And I will bring the third part through the fire, and will refine them as silver is refined, and will try them as gold is tried. They shall call on my name, and I will hear them. I will say it is my people, and they shall say, The Lord is my God. And again, if you return to Revelation chapter 12, verses 12 through 17, just as we did in Zechariah chapter 12, uh, we're brought once again to the middle of the tribulation. This is just the end of that first half of the seven-year period uh, of the tribulation. We call that first three and a half years the beginning of sorrows. And then uh, the second three and a half years, the beginning of the great tribulation. And uh, so it's right in the middle of the, the seven-year period. Satan had been thrust out from he uh, heaven after attacking the throne of God. He knoweth he hath but a short time. Satan is furious at his failure to take the throne. So he's going to come to the earth during the middle of the tribulation and try to destroy God's chosen people. Two out of three Jews will die. I've referenced that all along. Zechariah 13.8 is the verse that tells us this that I just read for you. And it's going to be a terrible time for the nation of Israel. Jesus spoke about it just before his crucifixion uh, as part of his Mount Olivet Discourse in Matthew chapter 24, verses 15 through 22. And Jesus gives the nation of Israel a very specific warning of when to flee. When they see the Antichrist sit in the temple and declare himself to be God, they must flee. Those Jews who read this and hearken to these words will be the one out of three that survive. Those that pay it no heed will almost certainly die. God is going to divinely aid the remnant of Israel in this hour. Israel will be given the wings of an eagle to fly into the wilderness to a prepared place of protection. King David warns the Jews in Psalm 11, verse 1, And the Lord put I my trust, how say ye to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain. And uh, God will send a flood to destroy the enemies of the Jews as they flee, just as Pharaoh's army was drowned in the Red Sea. And I'm not going to argue the possibility of helicopters taking the Jews from a flood of invaders. There, there are mysteries in the Bible whose secrets are only revealed at the appointed time. But most uh, agree that this will be a literal flood and uh, that's a divine intervention by God on behalf of his people. Most uh, everyone agrees that this will be the city in the land of Edom uh, or Jordan, uh, as we would call that country today, called Petra. Petra is a Greek word meaning rock. This is the same city referred to in Second Kings uh, chapter 7, verse 14 as Sila in the land of Edom. Now it is Petra. Sila is the Hebrew word for rock. Petra is in Edom. And uh, Basra is the entrance of Edom and their military headquarters. Isaiah chapter 63 tells us that, the first four verses. Now let me tell you uh, a little about Petra. I've told you about before. But Petra is a 25-mile, 25-square-mile city. Uh, it, can, it can be entered only through a narrow gorge that is 18 feet across at its widest point. It's 600 feet tall, though. Think about that, 60 stories tall, but only 18 feet wide at its widest point. And the gorge is about a mile and a third until you come long until you get into the city. There, were, uh, there are created caves by God and man-made caves formed by a people called the Nepotians. The Nepotians were nomadic tent-dwelling people, a group of Arabs that took over the city as the Edomites began to, to be dispossessed from their land. And the Nepotians carved a five-story building by starting at the top and working their way down. There's a 5,000-seat Colosseum. You can still see it today. Christians have been sneaking Bibles in and hiding them in the rocks so that the Jews will find them in the, in the tribulation. There is only one mountain higher than Petra, and that is Mount Hermon. And, uh, but Mount Hermon is not in the, the wilderness. Uh, Petra is. Petra is a wilderness city. It gets six to ten feet of snow every year. Pray that your flight be not in winter, Jesus said. 
There was one particular peace accord that was signed several years ago in 1997 and it opened the borders of Jordan, which is the ancient land of the Edomites, at least the southern part of it is, to the people of Israel. The people of Israel asked what was the first thing they wanted to see when the borders were open, and almost unanimously, nearly every single Jew said they wanted to see Petra. They were asked when they wanted to see, go see Petra, and all that wanted, wanted to see Petra, they wanted to see it today. In that year, 1997, Petra received 10 times its number of annual visitors, most of them Jews. Jews that have rejected the first coming of the Messiah know that they will need this city in an hour of need. Now look, God has spelled it out divinely for us, and uh, our time is gone for today. I hope this has been uh, shed a little light, a little prophecy, a little uh, of what's going to happen in days to come, very shortly come to pass uh, for you. And uh, tomorrow we're going to begin uh, Zechariah chapter 14, the last chapter of this book, and we're going to see that the day of the Lord is coming. And we're going to see the return of the Lord in glory and more of Armageddon. And I hope you'll join us. God bless you as our prayer until our time tomorrow. No longer a pauper in rags of poverty. You've been enjoying the program From the Poorhouse to the Palace. Find Pastor Castle's Bible commentaries and other resources when you visit the website bbclinton.com. Archived broadcasts of this radio program are available at WYTJRadio.com. Listen to the latest broadcast wherever you are, or catch up on what you missed whenever you want by subscribing to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts. Just search From the Poorhouse to the Palace. From the poor